Hi, this is Pastor Jim. Thanks for joining us for this week's message from Riverside Church. I believe you will be inspired and blessed by the Word of God. We'd love to welcome you to one of our services next time you're in the Brisbane area. If you'd like to know more about us, go online at www.riversidecc.org.au or like us on Facebook to hear about up-and-coming events. I hope you enjoy the message. God bless you. A few weeks ago, I shared with us a message titled Powerful Consequential Conversions from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. This morning, i like to take us to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. So from the first chapter, we, we head straight on to the last chapter. And not just to the last chapter, but to the last words of Paul in that letter of uh, Paul to the Thessalonian church. The year was around A.D. 51, roughly, give and take a few months either, either side. Paul had founded the church just a few weeks prior, maybe a couple of months prior. This infant church surprised Paul so much because in that very short time, it became an extremely powerful church. There were powerful conversions, and the impact was overwhelming. The, the message of the gospel spread throughout Macedonia and Achaia, which therefore represents all of Greece, and everywhere, which means into the whole world. Just one tiny small church. And so Paul was extremely delighted. He takes pen to paper and immediately with great excitement writes a letter to them to say, I'm so thrilled with you. We pray for you every time we remember you, and etc., etc. And then it's almost as if a letter courier was waiting at the door to transmit, to carry this letter to the Thessalonian church. And they were hurrying Paul up. And so Paul had to very quickly end this letter. It's as if, all right? I made this up. So, so... So he says, what should I write to this church as an ending? When you say goodbye on your deathbed, my dad said some important things to me on his deathbed. When you say goodbye, the last things are highly important. What does Paul say to them? Well, this morning, I want to talk to us about, yeah, it's on the screen, overcoming the need to get one's way. This is an important thing, overcoming the need to get one's way. What does he write in the last final moments before the letter goes to the courier? This is what he writes, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 12 to 15, just three verses. We ask you, brothers to rest, and sisters, of course, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves and we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all, 
See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, this is strange. This is a strange ending. I mean, these appear to me like a set of random, loosely connected instructions. Nothing extremely heavy like, for me to live is Christ and to die, he wrote elsewhere. But here it's like some docile, tame words. Respect those who labor among you and who admonish you. Uh, urge your brothers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. And plain, simple, everyday words. Why? Why does Paul write this? Well, there is one word that ties all of these ideas together. And that's, that's the word relationships. Paul is saying, you've, you've started well. You've, you've got a great church going. What powerful conversions I see in your midst. I am so overwhelmed by the power you've, you've displayed through the Spirit of God, of course. You've made a good start. But in order to build a church that would flourish, you need to work on your relationships. That's, that's what, to me, that's what Paul is saying in these last words here. Relationships. And Paul is saying, we must let go of one awful trait, one awful habit that would weigh us down in relationships. That's what he's saying. So, this morning, I'd like to talk three parts to us. This talk would be in three parts. Number one, needing to get one's own way. This is an awful trait that we must let go. Needing to get one's own way, always. Then we're going to deal with what is the biblical remedy for this awful trait. That's the second thing we want to touch on. Then thirdly, we want to touch on this. What is the response that I must make? Me. What, I, what is the response I must make? So firstly, needing to get one's way. This is the awful trait that ruins. It really ruins us. It really does. This is like a ball and chain around your ankle that weighs you down. Now, there are invisible balls and chains today in our midst. I, I see they're invisible. On some of our ankles, they're heavy, real heavy, with thick chains. For some, it's, it's fairly small and insignificant because we've learned to not insist on our own way. That ball and chain is a terrible spiritual disorder, insisting we get our own way, to have things the way we want it, when we want it, how we want it, exactly. There are people who would fall to pieces if they don't get their own way. This is a terrible, terrible disease. This is. That's what it does. This so terribly disturbs and crushes us that we cannot function properly because we just must get our own way. 
It's a terrible weight. I know it from personal experience. The need to have your own way is so, le- so, so deeply ingrained in us that it's become our default setting. Whenever something goes wrong, things are not going my way, immediately that default setting kicks in. We react in a way that is so displeasing to God. Now, the need to get your own way expresses itself in a couple of ways. Number one, it expresses itself in unsubmissiveness. Don't you tell me what to do. That's the next slide, please. I want my way, please. Next slide, please. Oh, sorry. Yes, thank you. I'm wrong. I didn't insist on my own way. Unsubmissiveness is is an expression of, I just have to get my own way. I just have to. Unsubmissiveness. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. Remember, these are Paul's last words. No, they're not Paul's last words. They are the Holy Spirit's last words. Because Paul earlier, in chapter 2, says, let no one insist on their own way and defraud their brother and take their brother's wife. He who ignores this instruction does not ignore the instruction of man, but the instruction of God, the Holy Spirit. So Paul, these are not Paul's words, really, strictly. They are the Spirit of God's words. So let's read them. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 12. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you. It takes submissiveness to listen to admonition. It, It takes an attitude of listening, submission. Paul is saying in these last words here that in our midst, from time to time, there will be the need for admonition in our midst, especially from the leadership leaders of the church. There will, from time to time, be that need. You know what's behind unsubmissiveness? You don't need to tell me what to do. You don't need to direct my affairs. I know how to live my life, my way. That's insisting on your own way. Paul says in Ephesians 5.21, submitting one to another out of reverence for Christ. Therefore, it's everyone in, in the church, community, submitting one to the other. In the church, in the home, submitting one to the other. You know, this refrain is heard all the time. You don't tell me what to do in the church, and at home. It happens all the time. If we are corrected, listen, submit. You don't need to go your own way. Here's another way needing to go your own way expresses itself. It is in this way. Repaying evil for evil. 
First Thessalonians, I just need to get even, it, it says. I just need to get even. First Thessalonians 5, verse 15. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. Now, evil is wrong done by one to another, either by speech or by action. That's, that's evil. Now, repaying evil for evil in this superb church in Thessalonica? I mean, Paul held them up in high esteem and regard. They, they were an example all throughout Macedonia and Achaia and everywhere. You mean there is evil in this church, Paul? Sure. Paul is saying there will be disharmony and discord potentially in the Thessalonian church. And if it happens in that church, it can happen in any church because that's a model church. Now, aren't they that church that so, showed so much promise? Yes, but sharp words can be traded. You can, you can just trade sharp words. Anger, aggression, and sometimes maybe not with anger and aggression. Sometimes it's, it's in quiet but simmering inside. That's sort of a, I have been slighted. I have been ignored. I have been overlooked. Therefore, I'm going to repay in kind the silent treatment. I won't fellowship with you anymore. Oh, this happens in the church. Huh, in the home too, in the home too. You know, you see this paying evil for evil? It happens in schoolyards. You can imagine that. I mean, picture in your mind a school oval, somewhere in the school. Two kids, two boys, same height, same age. One insults the other one. The other one returns in kind, an insult. Then they come closer and one gives a tap on the shoulder and the other fellow comes this way and does the same thing. And then this other one gives a more robust shove on the chest and that other fellow comes, does the same. Repaying evil for evil is so ingrained in this fallen nature. No surprise. No surprise. Indwelling sin is still a reality, even amongst Christians. Husband or wife says an abrupt word, and in a flash, the spouse retaliates in kind. That's how it is, that indwelling sin nature, so active and kicking. If indwelling sin no longer bothers us, why did Paul, or the Holy Spirit, give these sets of what appears to be benign, loosely connected relationship tips. Why, why did Paul write this? See that, see that really is an imperative command. It says, pay attention. That's what see that. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil. See that, pay attention. That's what it means. 
That means the Spirit of God understands, or no, not understands, He knows. We are to understand, He knows. He knows that this will be a terrible weight around our ankle that will pull us down. Not a single one of us. See that? No one. That means zero. Not a single one. In no circumstances. Oh, maybe I don't do it in church. I can do it in the family. No. No one in, under no circumstances is to repay evil for evil to anyone. That's all inclusive. And it's an imperative. It's a command by Paul. If we have this I will get back attitude, if we have this I'll return the favor attitude, then we can fast all night. We can, we can serve all week in the church and then say, what a good Christian I am. You're living in fantasy land because you're not pleasing to God. You're simply not pleasing to God because you are insisting on getting your own way. And it displeases God. Now, needing to get your own way. If I can get my own way, please flash the next screen. Thank you. <laughs> needing to get your own way, I'll give you two Bible examples. One right at the start of the Bible in Genesis, and the other one towards the end in an obscure little letter written by the Apostle John. Third John. But firstly, let's come to the first Bible example, Cain. This is the elder son of Adam and Eve, the first generation after the fall. Cain and Abel, you would be familiar with that story. They both brought offerings to the Lord. They both wanted to show God how good God is, or rather for Cain, how good he is. So Cain brought the products that he, the produce that he had um, produced in his farming endeavor. So he brought the best grain or maybe the best fruit, vegetable. But Abel brought, the Bible tells us, the, the fat, the best animal from his flock. And uh, the Bible tells us God was displeased with Cain's offering and said so to him. And with Abel's offering, God said, I'm very pleased. Now, Cain, Cain really got very upset. He said, I, I wanted to give you my offering. Do you know, if you read through the other parts of the Bible, the other parts of the Bible, you'd realize that God's desired offering requires blood sacrifice. Because that's what he modeled before these brothers' parents. When Adam and Eve sinned, animal skins were provided for them by God. Where did they come from? From a slain animal. This is uh, blood sacrifice was involved. This is God's way of showing my, the, the offering I desire requires blood sacrifice. Cain said, I want to do it my way. I, I am not interested in what you desire, God. That's what he's saying. I, I am interested in 
just let me get my own way, God. That's, that's what he, tantamount he's saying. Let me get my own way. Now look at the, and God confronts him and says, where's your brother, Cain? Where's your brother? And this is what he replies. Am I my brother's keeper? Now, brother's keeper simply means my brother's bodyguard. If you're the doorkeeper, you stand at the door and guard the door to make sure no evil comes through or come near. Your brother's keeper means you are guarding your brother to make sure no harm befalls him. I am not my brother's keeper, but we are. We are meant to be. We are meant to not look only in our own, at our own interests, but also at the interests of others. The ruin is horrendous. The ruin that came to Cain. This is what we read in Genesis chapter 4. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground... It shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and wanderer on the earth. You know what Cain replied to God? My punishment is more than I can bear. And that's the same conclusion, same answer. Everyone who insists on getting their own way, that is the same conclusion that they will come to. This pain that I'm carrying, this weight, this burden is far more than I can bear. It cripples us. It, it ties us up in knots. This is what getting our own way does. Very, very well, you say, that's an Old Testament example. We now live in a day of grace, not law anymore. Well, because I anticipated that, <laughs> I'll give you an example from the New Testament. Third John, this is, Third John, and then Jude, and then Revelation. Diotrephes, this is a hard name to pronounce. Diotrephes was a leader in a church somewhere in the Middle East. And he was a leader who simply must get his own way. This is what John the Apostle say about him. This is what he says. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. Oh, I can't submit. I've got to get my own way. That's what Diotrephes says. So, verse 10, if I come, I will bring up what he is doing talking wicked nonsense against us. If you read that chapter again, it's a short little letter, you'll find Diotrephes was an evil leader. He was a Christian, purportedly. But, you know, we give so much rope these days. I, I actually struggle. When I read people like John and Paul, they say, wicked man, wow. We say he's only saying a, a few naughty things. Wicked, evil man. Get him out of the church. Wow. I mean, this is an aside, okay? So, this Diotrephes is, 
it's so ruthless. That there were people welcoming other Christians into the fellowship. He puts them out. And not only that, not only does he bar newcomers from coming into the church, people in the church who welcome newcomers, he excommunicates them. So John says, this man is a horrible, terrible man. He wants to get his own way. A Christian leader, once upon a time, many years ago, wrote an article that appeared in a Christian magazine talking about the, the deeds and the character of Diotrephes without mentioning his name. Just mentioning such conduct, just mentioning the sort of things he had done. Soon after, 25 Christian leaders wrote to the editor of that magazine, complaining, why is that author writing about me? You see, this, this thing about, oh, this thing about getting your own way, I can identify with. And if you're honest with yourself, you would say, that's me too. That's me too. You see, it's so ingrained in us. So what's the remedy? If that's the issue, if Paul is saying, make sure you lay down that heavy weight. It, it will ruin you. That's what Paul is saying. What is the remedy? We don't have to have our own way. That's the remedy. We simply don't have. Don't have to have your own way. Look at the words of Jesus, okay? Mark chapter 8, verse 34. Don't have your own way. You don't need to, to be happy. You don't need to, to be fulfilled. Mark 3, Mark 8, 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 35, for whoever would save his life will lose it. In other words, if I could paraphrase, whoever wants to get his own way will be ruined. That's what it means. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Whoever would insist on getting their own way will suffer ruin. Whoever would say, that's all right, I can submit, will find life. That's what it means. I know there's a broader gospel message in these verses here, I know, and I'm just simply taking one, one tiny window just to illustrate, okay, that we need to deny ourselves. People think self-deny means self-despising. Uh, people think to deny yourself is to denigrate yourself, to, to, to browbeat yourself and to make yourself worthless. That is utterly, utterly wrong. Self-deny is the best way to love yourself. Self-denial is the best way to love yourself because if you insist on getting your own way, it results in ruin. If you deny yourself, you're loving yourself. It's fulfillment and joy and everything else that comes from the hand of God. 
Philippians 2, we've, we've heard what Jesus said. Now we see how he modeled it. Philippians 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests or her own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Uh, this verse here is scandalous in the first century. To us now, it's common, commonplace. But in the first century, it's, it's a scandal because that word, taking the form of a servant, that word servant, is slave. It's a slave. You're, you have no voice of your own. You are a property. You're just like the chair. You're just like the, the house, the horse, the sheep that your owner owns. You have, you have no will of your own. That's what Jesus, the, man, the, the God man who made the entire universe, he subjected himself to man. It is scandalous, but it is remarkable. He is, he is role modeling to us the way. Self-denial is the best way to love yourself. So he says, consider others more significant. Don't just look at your own interests. Also look at the interests of others. How do you consider the interests of others? Paul here tells us how. Paul tells us how to consider others. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. 514, 1 Thessalonians. We urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with them all. Admonish the idle. The Thessalonian church had a problem. Idleness was common. They said, Jesus is coming soon. There's no need to work. Jesus is coming any day now. No work. That word idle really means admonish the unruly. That means admonish the out of order, out of line. Out, admonish those who have deviated from the path that God has designed for us. That's what it means. So, to admonish them, we could say, Brother, you know, we, 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 we shy from admonishing because it makes us awkward, it makes us uneasy. But if we really do consider them, we shouldn't shy from this responsibility. It's a responsibility. That's what Paul is saying. It's a responsibility. Now, there are people who can't work. We don't go and browbeat them. They simply cannot for whatever reason, health, circumstances, whatever. But there are people who can work and who should work, but they don't because Jesus is coming any day now. So Paul says, you tell them, you tell them, 
if you continue doing this, you will bear the fruit of idleness, and it'll be painful. It'll be thorns and thistles. That's what we share with them. But if you, if you go and work and be industrious, you and diligent, you will, you will reap the harvest of fruitfulness, and, and you will have enough to give even to others in need. So you admonish. You admonish by telling the truth. Here's another way we consider others. Encourage the faint-hearted. Paul says, encourage them. There are some people who easily cave in when difficulties arise. Oh, nobody knows the, the burden I, I bear. No, you know, that old spiritual, nobody knows the heartaches. They cave in so easily. Paul says, encourage them. Go by their side. Encourage, give them encouragement. You can do it. I'm with you. And then he says, Help the weak. Help the weak. Now, what does this mean? These are folk who are weak in their faith. In Paul's days, many converts were Jews. And a lot of these Jews had come out of Judaism. So some of these Jews were questioning, should I continue with my kosher food regimen? Or, or can I eat some bacon today? So... And some of them feel offended because if I eat bacon and my favorite pork chop, maybe I've offended God because, you know, Jews, we, we should, you know, do the proper thing. So Paul is saying, if you see a brother weak like this, questioning, always questioning and feeling doubtful and have I guilt-ridden all the time, guilty, 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 you go alongside, forego your pork chop. In his company or her company, lay down your right to Christian liberty. Lay down your right to your pork chop. Deny yourself. Don't say, I will do my own thing because I know I have strong faith. It's nothing wrong with me. For the love and the sake of your brother or sister, forego your pork chop. This is what Paul says in Romans 14, 21. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine. And that's another issue today, modern day, drinking wine. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that may cause your brother to stumble. Romans 15 verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation, responsibility. It's an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. I love my pork chop. I'm pleasing myself. No, you deny yourself for his sake, for her sake. So help the weak, Paul says. And then, be patient with all. Paul is saying, be patient with all. What is patience? Patience is long-suffering. You know what's what is God's long-suffering? Long-suffering to God is this. Putting judgment as far off into the future as possible. That's long-suffering. Last night, we, were, we saw the news and we were grieved because we saw something in Sydney that grieved us. And we were saying things and we said, God is long-suffering. He's putting judgment as far, far off into the future. And until His patience runs out, 
then something happens. Now, we are born into the family of God, therefore we should have that patience with our brethren, with our brothers and sisters in the family of God, to put, put, to put that judgmental attitude as far off into the future as possible. Bear with them with patience. The last thing, the response we must make. This is the response we must make. First Peter 2.18 one verse here, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. I'll read that quickly again. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. What is this verse saying? It seems like a redundant verse. It's redundant. Slaves in the first century, which is servants, they've got no choice. They've got to be subject to their masters. What's the big deal, Peter? What are you saying? Redundant. There's no need to give this command. Well, what Peter is saying, yes, I know you are subject to your masters, but I want you to not just be subject to your masters on the outside. I want you to be subject to your masters on the inside as well. Your attitude of laying down that, that need to have your own way, even as a servant. You know, you can outwardly show that you are compliant and inwardly you are clenching your fist. You know this story, four-year-old boy, Father, daddy says, sit down, little Johnny. He refuses. No. Sit down, little Johnny. No. You know, four-year-olds. Sit down. No. Daddy comes, hands on the shoulders, pushes him down. He sits down. Here you are. Sit down. Little Johnny says, I know I'm sitting down but on the inside, I'm standing up. <laughs> this is what Peter is saying. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not just externally, but internally as well, inside as well. Have that attitude of submission. No one can live like this. No one can live always like this consistently. There's only one way to live this life, this sort of life, having Jesus Christ dwell inside you. Having Jesus live within you. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. That's the only way to have Jesus Christ live inside us. The story was told of a slave who had a terrible terrible tyrant of a master. Do this, do that, and this slave would have to comply. One day, he was a little bit late in doing, and he was beaten blue and black real bad by his tyrant of a master. A nearby king took pity on this slave, and he arranged for this slave to be killed. Yes killed. The master, the old master comes the next day, looks him down 
lying on the floor and says, do this, do that, he doesn't respond because he's dead. The king nearby decided, I don't only need to kill him out of love, I need to do something else. He had his body kidnapped, taken to his kingdom. And then he raises him from the dead. And now upon being risen from the dead, this servant says to his new master, the king, the good king, you have been so good to me. Now I'm going to serve you all my days, not just complying outwardly, but also inwardly. I love you so much. One day, this servant was sent on an errand to the marketplace. And in the marketplace, doing some groceries, he bumped into his old master, that tyrant of a master. And upon seeing the slave, that tyrant master says, do this, do that. For a moment, for a split second, that slave was almost tempted to say, yes, master, for a split second. And then, and this is the key word, he remembered. He remembered. He remembered. I'm no longer his. I am now his. I no longer just comply outwardly, but inwardly I'm seething with anger. But now I'm complying outwardly and inwardly. I remember, folks, you know, the response we must make, both outward and inwardly, we must not insist on our own way and just comply with Jesus Christ dwelling within us. And we must remember, because the devil or the old flesh will say to us, you've been badly done by, get even. And for a split second, that is the default setting. You would be tempted to just respond, remember. At that moment, remember, I, don't lo I no longer belong to him. I belong to him. Remember, I can do better than that. You know, laying down that, that, that spirit to insist on your own way is wonderfully liberating. It is freedom. It is wonderful because you'd be free from the toxicity of wanting to live life your way. Free from what one translation says, empty conceit. That's what it is. Emptiness, self-importance, conceit. That's what it is. And this is what James says. You'll, you'll be free of this. You'll, free of, you'll be free from envy and selfish ambition. And you'll be free from disorder and every evil practice. That's what James tells us, the fruit of insisting on your own way. So this morning, I want to encourage all of us, all of us, this is our human condition, therefore all of us, do not insist on carrying that weight anymore. Let it go. Lay that weight aside. Amen? How many say, yes, that's for me? Yes. Only Natalie says. We'll pray for you, Natalie. <laughs> Can I ask us to stand up, please? And I'll, I'll pray for us. Lord God, we thank you that you...
are a good God. You are a good, good Father. You love us. And the best way for us in life is to submit to you both outwardly and inwardly and to let go of just needing to get our way. Forgive us. Forgive me. Forgive people in the church. Forgive people even watching online when we go our own way. Help us, Lord, to develop this attitude of surrendering and submitting to you. We thank you, Lord. Do this work in us. We give you glory. Only you can do this work in and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening today. I hope you subscribe to the podcast so you can be inspired weekly. God bless and have a great day.